Today's reading is taken from Psalm, or in fact is, Psalm 65. For the director of music, a psalm of David, a song. Praise awaits you, O God in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. O you who hear prayer, to you all men will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those you choose to bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. You answer us with awesome deeds of righteousness, O God, our Savior. The hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. Those living far away fear your wonders, where morning dawns and evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with corn, for so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the desert overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with corn. They shout for joy and sing. This is God's word. Well, good morning. Uh, now, uh, January then, in the mornings, we've, um, uh, we've taken a break from the book of Galatians to look uh, for just for a month at some psalms, some psalms which help us express our emotions with some depth, whether uh, uh, good or not so good, miserable. Uh, and the Psalms are a great vehicle for helping us to do that, express that. But on uh, the 10th anniversary, once it's the church beginning, it seemed appropriate to look at one on Thanksgiving, as we're giving thanks. And uh, overall, thankfulness is a very good thing. Uh, let me encourage you in it, particularly some, no. The, uh, no, it's a very good thing, of course. Uh, it's transforming. It's fundamental, actually, to the life of a believer. It prevents resentment. Uh, disappointment, discouragement. Actually, a lack of thankfulness or gratitude is, in one sense, at the heart of what it means to sin, to reject God. See, the Apostle Paul can put it this way in Romans chapter 1, describing why God is angry with humanity. Uh, He puts it, verse 21, although mankind knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. See what the heart of sin is, according to Paul there? It's a failure to give thanks. So actually, a a lack of gratitude, a lack of thankfulness, it's not just a small thing, it's a significant thing. It's huge in the Bible's understanding. Thankfulness. It's essential to the life of a believer, to the life of anyone. uh, I reread this book over uh, the Christmas period, which is uh, a real gem. Uh, the Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. Rare because not many have it. Um, written in the 17th century. It's not everyone's cup of tea, I have to say, but if you persevered, persevered and read your way through it, it is an extraordinarily helpful book. But uh, in it, he says, look, one of the very simple ways of being content, or, or one of the biblical um, insights in being content is, to consider how wonderful the things you have are and how insignificant the things you lack might be. 
that's very simple. But consider, particularly if you're a believer, consider how extraordinary the things that you've got are. And actually, relatively, how small the things you lack are. Focus on what you have what, rather than what you don't have. That's fairly straightforward, I guess. But corporately, um, uh, it'd be very easy to get it wrong corporately in our church life. It'd be very easy to, uh, to reflect on a day. I'd say, look, there are many things we, are, we don't have as a church. There are many ways we are failures. And wouldn't it be much better if lots more people became Christians or, or joined the church or uh, friendships were deeper, more accountable? That would all be good. Good to have more uh, uh, Sunday school space. Good to have more loos, particularly in the ladies. All these things would be enormously helpful and good. You get frustrated. We don't have have lots of things and just forget actually God has given us a huge amount to be grateful for or in the individual life it personally it's much easier to dwell on what we lack and take for granted what we have so not many of us probably woke up this morning or woke up in wake up in every an average morning and think my health that's great today not many wake up in the morning and go oh look my eyes perfect terrific my, uh, or at least they function with glasses, yes. The, um, my ears. Oh, look at, oh, I can hear all sorts of things. My nose. It smells like a, you know, my sense of smell is terrific. None of us wake up and sort of just give thanks for some of the fundamental things. But if we wake up and think, I've got the cold. Then we say, and that's very irritating. We've got a cold today and it'll last for a week. And that's a profoundly irritating. Most of the time health is good and we just take it for granted, of course. So if, you, you know, if life is a pair of uh, old-fashioned kitchen scales, most of us spend much of our time thinking, look, here's what I don't have. Oh, and that's annoying and frustrating. And we don't even look to the other pan. Is it a pan? Anyway, the other side of the kitchen scales. I think, actually, God has given me a huge amount. And overall, I have a lot to give thanks for. Oh, maybe I won't be miserable today. Maybe I'll be content. And, um, oh, that'll be transforming. Well, just so, just so. The uh, culturally as well, culturally it's not the normal thing, or uh, is that right? It's not a common thing to be content or thankful. So I started reading um, halfway through this book, which I think is an excellent book in many ways, called Jilted Generation. Uh, And the basic thesis of the book is, if you were born after 1979 in the UK, you're stuffed. Um, So, I don't know, looking around, most would be happy, and you're all right, but some here this morning... Sorry about that. The, um, because the basic thesis being, uh, actually, uh, the, the generation above, particularly baby boomers, they've spent the lot. They've spent your inheritance, and it's not fair. They had good jobs, secure jobs, retired when they're 60 on decent pensions, and now go on lovely holidays, and it's not fair. Because my generation, say the, those born after 1979, will work until they're 70 or beyond, never have the great job security, never be able to buy a property. It's just not fair. Now, and actually, it's a terrific read in many ways. Statistically, if you like statistics, it's a dream for you uh, about uh, how the things have changed over the last few years. Um, and uh, I'm boring many people with a lot of the stats from this book. But yeah, and yet the tone of it is a bit odd. Because in tone, it is just angry and resentful. My parents' generations had a lot more than us, and it's just not fair. And yet... Partly in reading it, you'd want to say to the authors, hmm, I'm sorry about that. As one born earlier, I can... But um, I'm sorry about that, that you may not have as much as your parents. You may not retire as early. I'm sorry about that. 
But you know what? Growing up in the UK, it's pretty good overall. You could be born elsewhere, where life would be a lot harder. I mean, just the uh, the opening page is a bit of a joke. Sure, our generation may have iPhones, Xboxes, and the internet, but. We can't buy a home, and we haven't got the jobs we want. Well, actually, if you were brought up in East Africa, an iPhone, an Xbox, an they're not on your shopping list. Food, health. So in one sense, you say, look, okay, you, you may be resentful that you haven't got what someone else has got. But listen, overall, you've got a lot. Give thanks. And giving thanks is a route into contentment. Giving thanks. That's what we're thinking about this morning. Giving thanks. Now, it's particularly a lesson for Christians. Um, what God has given to you, if you're a Christian here this morning, is fantastic. And the truth that what you have is remarkable, dwell on that, rather than what you lack, is inc- just far more acute for the Christian believer. Far more acute. And so that's what we're thinking about this morning. And Psalm 65, it's a, it's a gem of thanksgiving. Uh, it, it breaks down happily into three little sections, but overall it seems to be prompted by rain. Now, actually, the UK, in London, January, it isn't the sort of thing you give, give thanks for the rain, but um, it seems that the occasion here was, there they were in, in David's generation, 10th century BC, and uh, there was no rain, a lack of rain, harvest would be bad, the whole arable economy would have been a disaster. Rain comes, they give great, great thanks. That seems to be the, uh, the occasion uh, for the prayer. But let's jump into it. There are three little sections, and uh, we'll take them in turn. Three reasons emphasized here why it's good and appropriate to give thanks to God. First then, uh, verses 1 to 4, give thanks for his, well, it's his atonement that brings us near to him. Give thanks for his atonement or forgiveness will be equally good. So uh, verse 1, uh, praise awaits you, O God. It's entirely appropriate to praise you, not just a sung life, verse 1, but a life of obedience. Uh, uh, God is to be praised as one who hears prayer, verse 2. And yet then, verses 3 and 4, it's straight into spiritual blessings. Verses 3 and 4, when we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions, or made atonement for our transgressions. Blessed are those who you choose and bring near to live in your courts. Now, this is a lesson worth noting. This is overall, and we'll get to it eventually, this is overall, I think, a prayer giving thanks for rain and therefore a good harvest. And yet, despite that being the occasion, David begins by saying, as we begin, Lord, the one who's answered our prayers, can we praise you that we know you? You've forgiven our sins, and we can be brought near to relationship with you. Because that is more important than anything. Now, I take it that that's something that most people uh, take for granted. Uh, 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 People who uh, wouldn't call themselves Christians often take for granted. Of course God will accept me. Of course I can come near to God. I'm a very nice person, and I look forward to meeting him, and he's probably looking forward to meeting me as well. Uh, and people just assume that, of course, God will accept me. But then Christians as well take it for granted. Yes, uh, Jesus has made atonement for my sins. Yes, I know that. Uh, most songs have something about that that we sing, and that's very familiar with me, and we just take it for granted. But that is a mistake. 
And reminding ourselves not to do that is fundamental to a spirit of thankfulness and contentment. Let me try and put it this way. Uh, An instance in the life of Jesus, uh, Luke chapter 17. One of those occasions when uh, uh, Jesus wandering along the road and ten lepers come to him. And uh, leprosy in the first century is an appalling situation, appalling disease to have. If you're a leper, you are cut off. You are cut off from because you're cut off from your family and your friends. You're not allowed to be with them. You don't want to pass the disease onto them. You are literally an outcast. If, as a leper, you're wandering along a road and someone comes near you, you'd have to shout out, "Leper, unclean, stay clear." You can imagine what that does to you over a period of years. You have to say to people, "I'm unclean. Don't come near me." And presumably you'd say those words and most times you'd break down because what does that do to your heart? You know, saying those words year on year on year, you are cut off. You can't get a job. You're dependent upon people's scraps being thrown to you. You're a poor beggar who can't go near people. Miserable to be a leper in the first century. These ten lepers come to Jesus and say, Lord, will you have mercy upon us? Will you do something for us? And Jesus says, we're told, verse 14, Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Just like that. But the sting in the story is, only one comes back to Jesus and says thank you. It's a very odd story to read. Very strange. Their lives have been completely transformed. Beggar, jobless, homeless, friendless not able to see perhaps their family, they're not able to see their children. And all of a sudden, bang, in a moment, Jesus' words, and they're clean. They can't even say thank you. Their lives have been turned upside down. And yet, of course, the biblical picture is that if you've one who's become a Christian, what has happened to you is far more profound than that. Because you were, before becoming a Christian, cut off from God, facing him as an, uh, facing his anger in the next life for eternity. With no hope beyond this life, enslaved to things in this life. And God has completely transformed your life. He's turned it around. So now for eternity, to put it in the bluntest terms possible, you no longer face hell but heaven. Now, that is a far more significant transformation than having your leprosy removed. And yet, we just take it for granted if you've been a Christian for a while. But we do, don't we? Or if you call yourself a Christian, do I need that? Yes. The language here of uh, verse 3 in uh, Psalm 65, we were overwhelmed by sins. Nothing we can do. The picture is just sin has caved in upon you, like being in an earthquake. And just the rubble pours upon your head and it's meters and meters deep. And that's it. You're just stuck. There is nothing you can do until someone comes and digs you out and rescues you. And David says, yeah, that's that's your work, God. You forgive our transgressions. We are absolutely overwhelmed by our sin and helpless. But you dig out and you pull us out. That is your work, God. And 
this side of the cross. We know it's when Jesus Christ makes atonement, brings forgiveness through his death upon the cross as a substitute for our sin, our transgression, that we are dug out from the rubble. Our lives are transformed. And the outcome is, verse 4, we're brought near. Blessed are those who choose and bring near to live in your courts. We're filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. Now, in the Old Testament, the temple is the place of plenty. It is an opulent place. It is a place you go for food if you're hungry, for forgiveness when, um, for, for your sins, for hope when life is bleak. It is the place of plenty and abundance, a physical place. But this side of the cross, what, what does that mean? Well, we come just into relationship with God. Not a physical place, but we draw near to him in a way that we cannot lose. So think of it this way. The, um, uh, imagine you had a, uh, in the summer, uh, imagine the summer, you know, in the summer you go along to uh, the Buckingham Palace when it's open and uh, get a little tour around uh, uh, the Queen's least favoured house apparently. But anyway, uh, you get a tour, um, that's all right. I mean, that's all right. It's, it's nice to have a house you don't really like in central London with 48 bedrooms. But um, anyway, it's a, but you get a tour around Buckingham Palace. It's a fascinating, fascinating place to go and visit. It's very interesting and you enjoy it. It's fun. That's good. But slightly different if uh, the, the Queen sends you an invitation and says, Dear Phil, dear Barbara, I'd like you to come and stay. And you think, oh, well, okay. And she invites you to come and stay. And you arrive and your room has towels with your name embroidered in it. And uh, a footman to dress you or a lady to dress you. Um, so, you know, everything is it's just, it's opulent and the food there is pretty good overall and you get to enjoy all the facilities and she says I want you to stay here this is yours you think well this is alright I can live with the food the, uh, the transport links are pretty good no longer on the tube but a limo with police outriders I like this all this is yours she says and I, I want you to be here now very different Wandering through as a tourist, that's quite nice. The Queen saying, stay with me, live with me, inherit from me. Everything I have is yours. That's very different. And that's what David is talking of here. God says to, to his people, come near to me. And these blessings are permanent won by Jesus Christ. You cannot lose them. That's what makes them so very, very precious. These blessings, not I mean, in this life we'll know them in part, in the life to come in full, but you cannot lose them. Everything else will come and it'll go. But these blessings of knowing God, being near him forever, they cannot go. Now, it's great to have a harvest, and that's the, the occasion for the psalm. That's good. But being brought near to God, says David, let's put that up first, shall we? In first place. Because that, is, that will last. That will last forever. Give thanks for that. Give thanks for forgiveness that brings you near to God, above all other things. Ten years as a church for, uh, for us today. Lots which has happened. Lots which is terrific. Nice to have a kitchen, nice to have some office space. Nothing compares to seeing people become Christians. Nothing compares to that. 
It lasts forever. Give thanks. Give thanks. Let's pick up the pace. Uh, secondly, second thing that uh, David gives thanks for here is give thanks to God for his rule over the earth. His sort of general rule over the planet, which is uh, verses 5 to 8. Essentially, here is thankfulness that uh, the world is not random. It's not wreaking havoc out of control, but God oversees it, overrules it. So verses 5 and 8, the sort of frame, they stress this is good news for the whole earth. Uh, Verse 5, you answer us with awesome deeds of righteousness, O God our Saviour, the hope of all the ends of the earth. Verse 8, those living far away fear your wonders. When morning dawns and evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. So verses 5 and 8 say this is good news for everyone. And then 6 and 7 in the middle, well, what is it? God rules. Concrete examples. God rules. So verse 6, you are the one who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength. Now look, David is not denying the fact that there are tectonic plates which move, that volcanoes blow up from the ocean's floor. He's not denying that. But he's a poet saying that God's hand is behind it all. That he placed the, the Alps upon their base. He formed the Andes with his hands. Not literally, of course, but he's behind it all. Verse 7, he controls the seas, the roar of the seas, the roar of their waves. In the, where are we? 10th century BC, the, the sea is a place of terror for Israelites because it's out of control and there are storms and you can't, you, know, you can't plan. And yet, David says, for you, Lord, it's, the sea is just like a dog that's well trained. You go, and calm it down. And the sea goes, all right, you're in control. And the point of this seems to be, the end of verse 7, you over, you're in charge of the nations. The Lord rules over the turmoil, the chaos of countries and nations. Now, very practically, in the West, in the UK, give thanks for something we take for granted. Give thanks for stable government. Now, you, you might not like this government, You might have all sorts of objections against it. Okay, okay. But give thanks for stable government. Give thanks that it underpins the rule of law, justice, services. Give thanks. We take it for granted. But it would be quite bad if um, it wasn't there. Imagine one day you uh, you go home and um, your flat, your house is being burgled. And you think, oh, gosh, quick, what do I do? Uh, 999. And uh, you dial in and... um, you get, a, you get a recorded message. Uh, we're sorry to say this service is uh, no longer available um, due to the government being disbanded at the will of the people. We, uh, we can't help you, but we do recommend you go to our website, www.youreonyourownnowhahaha.org, where you'll find some advice on capturing criminals, putting out fires, and um, preventing heart attacks ending in death. And, you know, you, and that's it. And that's it. That would be bad. We just take it for granted. Give thanks, says David. Give thanks that the Lord rules over the nations. He gives stability. He gives control. It's worth giving thanks for. You may take it for granted, but give thanks. And then he applies that more directly in the last little stanza, verses 9 to 12. Give thanks to God for his provision year on year. Here, then, is a picture of abundance, great blessing. Verse 9, uh, God is pictured as a gardener sort of wandering around the earth, 
uh, with a watering can. So verse 9, you care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water. What? Of course they are. He's saying there's plenty of water when we really needed it. You provide the people with corn, for you have so ordained it. You drench its furrows, you level its ridges, you soften it with showers and bless its crops. And you think, all right, we've got enough rain in the UK. But clearly for them, this was a big deal. And you get this lovely rustic picture of verse 11. Your carts overflow with abundance, like God is driving an old wagon and horses down a country lane, and grain keeps falling off it. There's so much that as he goes down this bumpy road, um, it just grain is falling off everywhere. God has got so much to give, he just falls out. There's abundance here. It's a very lovely picture. So that even if his people don't, well, the very countryside will have to sing out. Verses 12 and 13, the valleys, the meadows, they're going to sing for joy. God provides. Now, for us today, 10 years uh, as a church, God has provided, year on year. Uh, And I I think this is no small thing for Christ Church Mayfair, where we own very little. Uh, There's no assets owned by the church. There's no bank account with great reserves. Year on year, we have a budget, and in the autumn, it always looks awful. Uh, We always look like we're going to be fall at least 20% short, sometimes higher than that. And yet every year, just, come the summer, just, God has provided enough money. Every year we think, how's he going to do it? How's he going to do it? And then every year, just, he encourages his people to be generous, and we just sneak in, so it seems, (laughs) year on year. That's no small thing. You know, middle of the year, it's January, and you think, how's it going to happen this year? It looks really bad this year. Well... We pray on that God will encourage us to be generous. And he's done it year on year. He's done it for 10 years. We don't own anything. Uh, by the nature of a city center church, uh, every summer there are people who move, move to different parts of the country, different jobs, different countries. It happens every year. And uh, sometimes you sit there and you think, oh, my goodness, who's going to do everything? You look around the church and you think, not them, and them, and them? That's extraordinary. What are we going to do? Who's going to... Who's going to organize the food? Who's going to run the home groups? Who's going to run the cafe? Who's going to play the drums? Who, who's, going to, who's going to love me when they go? Who's, who's going to do everything? And yet, the Lord provides. Now, he could shut us down like that. And yet he provides, year on year. But actually, when you take a step back, we've grown. In number, yes, but in maturity. Oh, all right. (laughs) Amazing. And personally, personally, God provides. He provides for what you need personally. Give thanks for that. No one here is lacking clothing or food, basic necessities. He provides what you need. In uh, doing this, I realized, I, actually, I have got out of the habit of being as thankful as I once was. I used to have this uh, daft little mnemonic to uh, get me through the week. So actually, I'd start my time um, with God each morning by giving thanks for something. It was unremarkable and slightly crowbarred in. It went a bit like this. Sunday salvation, that's the first thing. I mean, intensely to give thanks for that. Monday money, I've got enough to survive. Tuesday church, it's great being part of a church family that's encouraging. Wednesday work, 
Some days I love my job, more days than not. Some days I don't, but I've got one, and it's fulfilling largely overall. Wednesday, I give thanks for work. Thursday, sorry about this. Thursday is thanks for necessities, um, so which is basically food and uh, clothing. Friday, friends and family. Saturday, again, santé, health. Didn't work otherwise. But um, just basic things to give thanks for. And I realized I got out of the habit of doing that. I couldn't even remember what Saturday was. Then, oh, okay, that's because it was daft, wasn't it? The, um, I got out of the habit. It's a very good thing to do, just to give th- God has provided many, many things to give thanks for. Thank you, Lord. So give thanks to God. It's a lovely psalm, Psalm 65. Give thanks to him. His atonement, forgiveness that brings us near, his rule over the earth, his provision year by year. But what about um, in everything? At the, uh, the top of the service sheet, we just put 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. In all circumstances. And you can read Psalm 65 and say, well, yeah, fair enough. You, you, your harvest was stuffed, lots of rain came, you had a great harvest. Of course you can give thanks. I was feeling a little skint, then all of a sudden some money landed in my lap. I'll give thanks. But what if it doesn't? What if you pray for rain, and you pray for rain, and you pray for rain, and it doesn't come? What do you do then? Well, the Bible would say give thanks in all circumstances. Now, not necessarily give thanks for them, but in them. So it is a little perverse to to praise God for a lack of food. It would be perverse to, to praise him for bereavement. But you can give thanks in those circumstances. And this is a massive issue, of course, but so very briefly, the Bible suggests two main reasons why you can do that. The first is knowing that God is in control and a father in your life if you're a Christian. So you can say, I I don't know why you're doing this. I don't know why you're not sending rain. I don't know why I'm not at peace. But I know that you're doing it for a good reason. God's sovereignty over your life. You can give thanks still. You're doing something good. I don't understand it, but you are doing something good. And then the second one would be, well, it's the truth of verses 3 and 4 here. God is, if you're a believer, God has given you eternal salvation. And that does relativize disappointments in an enormous way. The reformer Martin Luther put it memorably, to my mind, this way. The sea of God's riches should swallow up our particular afflictions. What he's saying there is you get a bucket of water or jug of water. You get a jug of water and you throw it on the floor. It makes a mess. And that's a nuisance. And you've got to clear it up. That's a bit of a pain. You get a jug of water and you throw it in the sea. It doesn't really make an enormous difference. The sea just swallows it up. And Luther's saying, with David here, actually, if I understand your mercy to me, if I understand that what you have given me in Jesus Christ is access to you, is your presence, is your abundant blessing for eternity, then disappointments here and now, well, they just kind of, they get swallowed up a little. 
they just dissipate. It's not quite as bad. The sea of God's mercy swallows them up. What you have is so good. What you lack is relatively not that bad overall. Or as I am... I heard someone, or read someone, uh, put it this way, a conversation between two Christians. One, uh, Anthony, was a, a blind man. He'd lost his sight in his middle age. And uh, someone said to him, do you, do you complain to God? Do you, how do you deal with that? Are you resentful that you've lost your sight? And he, he's come back slightly quirky. But someone memorable said, why would I? He said, yes, I do, actually. Sometimes I do feel a bit sorry for myself. But then I say to myself, why are you complaining You lack something that insects have, sight, but you possess something that belongs to the angels, proximity to God. Why are you getting upset? Okay, you don't have sight like insects, but you have blessings like angels. So, Anthony, shut up and get on with it. You have a lot. Just dwell on the pan of what you have rather than what you lack. I enjoyed that. Of course, this is impossible unless you know the hope of heaven. Of course. So that that doesn't work as an answer if you're not a Christian. I, I see that, of course, of course. But for those who are believers, the sea of God's mercy swallows up afflictions. Not completely. Sickness in this life hurts. Bereavement hurts. Disappointment hurts. But... What God has given you is so wonderful that in a thousand years' time, you won't quite remember why you're upset. In 10,000, you'll know there was something. In a million, you'll be a bit embarrassed. Might not take that long. Uh, but God's, afflict, God's mercy will swallow it up. So look, practically, there are many things to give thanks for, many things to give thanks for in your own life, of course. For us, 10 years as a church, there's much to give thanks for, but... Those that we'll see in eternity because of the work that God has done here, that is special. That is very, very special. Give thanks for that overall. Don't ignore God's day-to-day blessings. Don't, you know, don't forget to thank him for his provision. But his eternal provision, that swallows up disappointments. Give thanks to him. Let's begin to do that again now. Our Father, you know our hearts. You know how often they they fixate on the things that we lack, the things that we would desire. How often we feel sorry for ourselves that we, we don't have something that someone else does. Father, forgive us that we don't also turn to you And don't remind ourselves of your goodness, of your mercy, of that great vast sea of mercy. That even now we can see in part how it swallows up affliction. Even now if we're disappointed and discouraged and ungrateful, would we turn again to see what you have done for us and the abundance of blessing that that brings? And will we give great thanks to you with gratitude. Amen.